You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Yeah, we're going to mess a lot of things up. Uh, have a good time. <laughs> so my screen, I've got like all of the speakers' heads are all kind of basically, you know. Except for McCunny. Except for McCunny, who's yeah, making yeah. us all look bad. Yeah, yeah. He, he's looking like he is, he's going at the, you know, Emmys or something like that. And, you when know, like. Follow yeah. his lead. It's like we got to like step back like 50 feet. And, like, yeah, exactly. There was a, a, a Daryl Prail video on how to be able to have great lighting. I, I can forward it to you, Daryl, if you want to. It's, it's super, super effective. I heard, I heard it sucked. I heard the guy leading it was horrible. Yeah. There we go. That's the best I can do. To get it. The guy was awful, just so you know. That's the best I can do to get my head in there. Well, the good news is it's recorded, so you can go in and test yourself. Sandra, your head looks the biggest, though. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it's on a platter. Like, you know, just chop yeah, it off and, like... You know, it's <laughs> so this is this is how marketing works. All right, Jeff, I, I, you want to? I just love that Caitlin came really prepared. Like I've never seen her this dressed up. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like, you know, just trying to bring a little color to the conversation. You know, put out the yellow spring. Yeah, they got. I got the thing going. I don't know. You can't even see. Like I need to take like like Michael. I need to go like ten steps back. At yeah, that's what I've already done. It's the same thing. Yeah. I just I just feel like I'm gonna have to scream across the room if I go too much further back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Jose, Pablo, Debbie, Clint, Ben, Catherine, Jacob, Deidre, Dave, Travis, Amy. Glad to have you guys. So we got 55 people in so far. All right. We'll jump in. I know. I know. So there's there's a whole bunch of things, and Judd, you you're gonna kick it off. But guys, folks, this Q and A, which means we're gonna bring. There's a reason why we're not doing this on Zoom. We want to bring you in the conversation. So if you have questions and comments and talking about like, well, this is where you screwed up last quarter, and this is what we are doing next quarter, just go to the Q and A and just raise your hand. We're literally gonna click you, get you on stage. So if you need to get Camera ready, like Michael is doing right now. He has a perfect shot going on. Michael, just keep it. Uh, <laughs> so just go and do that. But that's uh, we're just going to have a lot of fun. And, and Debbie, thank you. Everybody is an impressive panel but me, but it's good. Uh, <laughs> Michael, welcome. Dimitri, welcome. We're, we're happy to have all you guys here. Hey, drop drop in the uh, the the chat where you're from and, and uh, love to just see everybody who's here with us. Awesome. All right, Judd, you want to kick it off? Sure, sure. So welcome, everybody. We are extremely excited to be launching our second quarterly state of marketing. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, and so if you guys are here, you already know who we are, Peak Community, um, where we aim to get 1% better every week. And as you guys, I'm sure, know, this is a community by marketers for marketers. So it's the only one in existence, so we're, of course, the best. Let that sink in, okay? Um, and just so you guys know, we obviously do regular events. Our, our goal is to connect people, help you build your network, your personal brand, and you know, just literally make marketers that much better. So we're, we're extremely excited. Today, we're going to kick off probably with our biggest marketing mistake this quarter. 
Yeah. So if Sandra told me right. And so you're going to, you get to hear how, how messed up most of us can be. Uh, so you, you can all feel better about yourselves. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to bring some people on stage. If you guys have questions that you want to bring up here, get into that Q&A, post it in there. We can bring people on stage. So it's going to be a really fun event. Uh, and if you are not a member of, of Peak, we'd love to have you come check us out. Uh, afterwards, you should be getting an email. But come check out the community and be a part of it. And uh, from that, I'm going to give it to you, Sandra. All right, bud. Thank you so much. So I'm not going to introduce any of you because people should already know you. So I'm going to ask all of you to just drop in your LinkedIn in the chat so people can follow you because these are folks that you all should follow. And as you, as we just go through questions, like I want people to recognize that marketing is all about making mistakes and learning from it and doing it. The only reason some people tell or know about it is because you know, the only your team knows it, but today we're going to share some of that. And I literally, we all prepared only for three questions and I, I have it over here. Like what is, what is the one, what is the mistake you made? It just professional as a marketer. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about like, what is the one thing you did in Q1 that worked? So that is a big part. I think each one of us, and I, and honestly, each one of us prepared, what is the one thing that works? So I got, I got all kind of notes over here. I don't know if you can go through all of it, but we will run through it. Uh, as much as possible. And as you have questions about it, we want to pull you in. Uh, typically, this goes for an hour, uh, but last one and last two, I think two times, we went hour and a half. So we're going to go through for an hour. And if you have time and we just want to talk as a community, because that's the point of this is to build a community, then we will go hour and a half and, and let you come in and chime in and, and we'll open up the floodgates for it. Um, so three questions that we're going to ask. We'll just go through. I'm not going to call on each one of you. You guys know and jump in and have the conversation around it, but it's literally what worked in Q1, what didn't work in Q1, and what do you plan to do in Q2 that's just going to be great for your organization's marketing. So that's what we're going to do. So you can see everybody's LinkedIn profile over there. People, you should follow uh, follow these things. So I'm going to just ask straight up whoever is the bravest of all on screen right now, just jump in on this one. Is like, what is the biggest mistake you ever made as a marketer or a professional. So feel free to unmute and jump. I'll go first. <laughs> oh, there you go. Look at that, James. There you go. Woo. So early on in my career, when I was learning how to do data management and orchestration, I happened to do a massive data cleanse at a pretty large company, and I wiped out all of the opportunities and the financial data in our CRM. It was a nightmare. It took me like four weeks to fix it, but we eventually fixed it. And that was one of the biggest mistakes. And I've never made it, a, never made it since. Well, yeah, well, you, you, as long as you don't make it the second time, it's always good. Now, <laughs> did anybody know it when you made it or you had to go tell people like, yeah, this happened? Yeah, everybody in the whole company knew. <laughs> I mean, it was opportunity data and financial data, so there wasn't a way to get around that. Um, I luckily kept my job, and I was still new, but so, but uh, yeah, it was a battle. <laughs> oh man! So everybody else who's not on the panel right now, just drop in your biggest mistake. We might just pull you in and and have you share that. But let's keep going. Who is next? I'll jump in to, to build on that in, in the mishandling of data. I think it sticks out for me as a marketer in the early 2000s when personalization started with personalization of the salutation. We built an organic database of 5,000 subscribers, and we were doing a mail merge, email merge at the time, and I watched every single email incorrectly go to every single incorrect recipient 
Yeah. No control without automation. And I'll tell you the biggest takeaway that still sits with me is it taught me how to be human because I yes. had to follow up with every single one of those recipients um, to apologize and to acknowledge when automation wasn't expected, how it had completely rocked their perception of our brand and who we were at the time. So, oh, wow. Now, how many, how many did you send? Like all 5,000? 5,000, but these weren't bought names. These were organically acquired and signed up with early 2000s, which was like 100,000 today. Yes. And oh, wow. And them expected those emails to be handcrafted from us, and it was the first sort of behind the cloak of automation when it wasn't expected either. So yes. being human is huge. Apologizing, acknowledging, and making those mistakes builds relationships one at a time is the one thing I, I took away from that. Did anything come good come out of that? Totally. The, the, the human connection, the, the actually more relationships, more opportunity for engagement that came out of um, acknowledging the mistake and having a human conversation built on automation. Yeah, that, that is the part I think most people forget and miss it. Uh, I have this, uh, one of the folks, I think it was Ethan from Bomb Bomb. he shared with me that anytime people unsubscribe to their email, he would literally send a video message to them and say, hey, sorry, our email didn't work for you. Our newsletter wasn't what you were looking for. We apologize. We'd love to hear from you. What, you know, what is it that you want to want it that it's not in it so we can make it better? And he said that, look, one in three times, people will respond back and say, oh, I didn't mean to unsubscribe. I want to jump in. I love that you did that. And he would actually retain more people in it. And it just, when you do these unscalable things that you just mentioned, Allison, and the mistakes and own it, and as you said, it just makes it human. And hopefully everybody recognizes that being human is being a good marketer. Like that is part, that is a requirement to be a great marketer. So with that, oh man, I can't wait for to hear the rest of the crew here. Well, I jump in. I, uh, my mistake completely different. So, uh, well, I have made a lot of mistakes. The one I'm going to share was that I invested myself way, way, way too much in the role, traveled the world, was like super elite on every airplane you can imagine, never saw my family other than a handful of days that year, and it had major consequences on my relationships and major consequences on my own mental well-being dramatic effects. When the company approaches you and says, Daryl, we're worried about you and we've paid for an all expenses trip uh, trip for a week in Jamaica <laughs> for you and your wife, because we think you're going to burn out tomorrow and we think you're going to divorce the day after. Uh, that was my mistake. So uh, that ultimately led to a, a, a mini meltdown. I've talked about this with a handful of people before in my early thirties and, and so the mistake I made was not having a work-life balance, and that was traumatic. Because if I'm not on my game, then I'm useless. Wow. Well, how do you, how do, you do that today? How do you keep your work-life uh, balance? Yeah, I have boundaries. I still work stupid hours, but I have boundaries, and I'm not afraid to turn off. And, and where before I would get really caught up in trying to please everybody, uh, I've gotten way better. I, I mean, I was working so hard because I was trying to please everybody and make these outrageous commitments, and I'd say, sure. Whereas now I actually do a couple of things. I delegate, and I actually proactively communicate expectations to get alignments um, so that, you know, the, I level set. 
And that's an age and a wisdom thing. You, you actually do have permission. When people ask you to do something and you say yes, they're going to go, okay, and walk away. You can still say no, and they're going to go, okay, so then how else can we do this? It took me a few years to figure that all out. So boundaries, I still work crazy hours, um, yeah. but it's bound boundaries and, and, and delegating and pushing back and communicating. Um, so that was the biggest thing. That helps. That's great, man. And for folks, a lot of folks just joining in just now, this is our quarterly thing. We do this every quarter now. Um, and a lot of the conversations we're about to have is re- going to revolve around these three things. Uh, but we started with the like, biggest mistake we've made. Uh, so this is kind of fun. And just get to know everybody that we're all human and we make mistakes. So don't shy away from owning it and sharing that. And if all of us can share it. Hopefully you can uh, as well. And then we're going to just rotate on the three questions, like what worked in Q1? Because I have seen what has worked for all of you. And Daryl, you actually dropped in like overachiever to two different things in each one of those areas. So we, we, we're going to get into that. that. Girl, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we, we're, we're going to jump into that in a second. But yeah, go, go ahead, Caitlin and Michael, share your biggest uh, biggest mistake you ever make. Sure. I think for me, it was, um, it was a little bit kind of a different take on Daryl's. It was really moving from a tactical role into strategic where I had a big project and I executed this project and I, you know, we did a great job and everything, but, you know, my boss and the executive team came to me and said, yeah, you did a great job, but you weren't supposed to be doing that work. You were supposed to be leading. And this was, you needed to provide more strategy to the team. You, you know, you, you've moved out of that tactical role into a strategic role. And I need you to make sure you're working, having the team do the work. Um, I think the, the great analogy that was given to me was if you're the conductor, you can't be getting down and playing first chair for every instrument. If you're down there, there's nobody leading the way. And so while we did make it happen, it was a good lesson on kind of how to rethink about how to manage my teams, you know, what I was responsible for, you know, making sure I was really aligned, not only on what needed to happen, but how leadership, you know, what my role was. And so I stepped back and sort of, you know, had to rethink about how I structured my org and uh, did things going forward. So that was a big lesson for me as I transitioned in my career. Oh, I, I love that. I think one of the polls, uh, and maybe Eden, you could put in there the poll that we have, and we're just testing this poll out. It works. Like, are you facing challenges regarding your marketing team? Uh, let's open up that poll and do that. And I want to see how everybody thinks about that and responds to it, uh, because that's that is an area that we are starting to hear a lot. Like I'm like all day long. Like people are like, well, it is it is it is not just the marketing team. It is about talent. It's about culture. It's about People are not motivated, and we don't even know if they're motivated or not. Like it's 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 something that comes over and over again. So I'm I'm seeing oh my god, cohesion among departments as the high, I mean highest by a long shot. Like, do any of you guys have like it's comments coming. on this? It's coming more. Oh, oh my god! Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let Michael. I mean, this is huge. Like, I, we may spend most of the time on just that, uh, but look, those that poll is just clearly indicating one of the biggest challenges in most of actually, organizations. That ties back. If I know we're going to share today, but remember the I shared in advance uh, was the one thing that screwed up in in the uh, last quarter was effectively that cohesion among departments. 
move. Okay, we're going to jump into that in a second. So, Judd, Michael, go ahead and share what's your biggest mistake, and we're going to go into the poll directly. Sure, yeah. I, I think uh, going off of what Daryl first said and then Caitlin built off of, that's something that, that I've had happen uh, where – you can't be in the sandbox playing at the same time being being the general right uh and then daryl i'm very uh very kind uh, to share your story i think the acknowledgement that we actually all do have a wall we all have that point where you just find that you can't give it anything more and it's great to, to work hard it's great to, to have uh strong hours but uh you still have to have that sense of self and you still have to have those other things that fill your cup and so um definitely um, appreciate the things that, that both daryl and caitlin said Mine, my story in terms of, uh, of an error that I think is uh, at least kind of humorous looking back, um, earlier in my marketing career was my first big event. I, I did all the show plan, right? I did the perspective. I looked at everything. Hey, this is the goal for the event. Here are the tchotchkes. I, I sent the tchotchkes. I'm tracking the tchotchkes. I'm making sure the hotel reservations <laughs> are there for the team. I mean, everything's there, right? And so I was taught early on in my career, when you're traveling, you, you got to travel travel nice, right? Make yourself look business presentable. You never know when a business conversation should take place. And so I was wearing something similar to this uh, as I came to the event. Budgets were a little bit tight, so I arrived the day of the event, but no problem. Right. The, uh, you know, the, the, our little booth, our not so little booth was delivered. I track it. That was fine. Show up on the show floor and Freeman's putting together every other booth, but not mine. I'm like, Hey, uh, you guys going to be able to put this together. It's show starting in like an hour and a half. Guys like, yeah, you're not on our list. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, what? And so I, you know, for this next part, picture Chris Farley, right? <laughs> Chris Farley. That guy. Okay. And I'm just like, pouring out sweat like sweat. Yeah. this thing i'm like it's gonna work you know I, I got the collateral up i've got the booth up and by the time you know i don't have any time to go back to to the uh their hotel room to change and so i'm just like a total mess and i you know brush my hair back and the team arrives they're like you okay I'm like yeah it's fine it's fine <laughs> Thanks, kid. so i learned don't assume anything especially when it comes to events oh my god each one of us can probably tell stories after stories on that because being an ongoing events like events is a part of marketing and now now that we're not actually doing ton of physical events i think a lot of people are getting their life back quite frankly who actually didn't in that process but oh my god we all can relate to that one man thank you for bringing that picture again i'm just seeing you sweating and you know pacing and trying to go around the block and like trying to like give me that like literally pulling drapes from other person's like you know booth i don't know but that's what i would do it's, it's, it could happen so all right judd bring us home and then we'll get into the well, we're not bringing us home you're you're still part of the part of the team here oh, yes yes yeah don't forget yourself all right I, and, and, and I just remember one, one learning, you know, to build on Mike's though, was I learned don't wear your sports coat while you're actually putting things together and fighting. <laughs> so you have something to cover it up. <laughs> that was a big learning for me. But um, no, my, my mistake, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't as comical. I, I was running a company and we were in hyper growth and I was tasked with opening some locations and doing some things. And um, my mind was very focused on growth and not much else. Uh, which meant all the data that was being presented to me wasn't being looked at very well. And I pushed the company hard and didn't listen to the people very well because by nature, I'm a driver and I get things done. And I took the company to a point where we had to close multiple locations. We had a mass exodus of employees and I nearly sank the company. 
And my big learning was stop, look at the data and do a little analysis. And that actually changed the way that I looked at business moving forward. Uh, that was, it was huge. It was impactful. And it was one of those things that I look back and talk to people that actually work with me back in the day. They're like, yeah, I'm glad you're not that guy anymore. So <laughs> big, big learning, big mistake. I love that, man. I think we, we all can relate to that as well uh, because we are in a driver mode. And I think we're going to get into this is like, I think everybody is running right now, especially is feeling like they're running faster than they have ever before, even though they're working from home. Like you, we all have this feeling of like, oh my God, meeting to meeting, back to back. There are five things going on and there is no break. There's no coffee break. Like I literally have to block sometimes in between. Hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Like literally I need to put a bathroom break on my calendar. I never had to do that before. Like it's just ridiculous how back to back things are. So nine one was when I was back in the days at Pardot running marketing. And this wasn't before acquisition of, uh, you know, of Salesforce or we had some money. And this was like G2 just came out. Like G2 was a new company. They were trying to get reviews and stuff. We are like, we need to get a ton of reviews of our, of our product. So how about we send an email to our customers? Maybe some of them will do. And at that time, we were like, well, let's send them a hoodie, okay? And it's like a 70 bucks, like, like, like good quality hoodie. And we, again, we haven't been acquired. So we're not, we don't have funding or anything like that. Maybe 10 people would want it. And, and that's fine. So we sent an email to all of our customers and said, Hey, you know, just give us a review on G2 and we'll send you a hoodie. And guess what? 700 people responded like within an hour saying, we want this hoodie. We just did this. And we literally had to go back and like talk to the, to the, the, the founder and like, hey, should we get a bank loan or like, you know, what do we need to do here to like make sure this happens? So yeah, like, you know, check with the people and, and make sure that you segment it, make sure you test it. Don't go for all of it. You should go and test things, but don't test with all, like test with few. Like, I think that was a big lesson for me. All right. So what Tanner was actually saying is everybody who wants a hoodie, go review Peak. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go put that then. You're right. Like, we got to become a peaker on the top too, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. All right, Eden, can you bring the poll back up and let's just jump into, let's just dissect this, this poll or like, are you facing challenges regarding your marketing? And the numbers on this one was just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, who, who wants to just dissect that and just drop your comments on this? You can see it on the first site thing, too. First things first, do you guys have a service level agreement between yourself and your, your, your sales colleagues? I mean, that's the first thing I do in every single job because I've learned from my mistakes to start to establish cohesion among departments. And obviously, in my, in a pilot from a marketing point of view, you know, sales is my number one customer, if for lack of a better, I want to be cohesive with, followed quickly by support and success. Because I, because you know, if churn sucks, they're going to come back to marketing and say, we need you to backfill the numbers. So uh, getting expectations down on paper is huge. And what I, and actually, it can be a totally fun experience. I know the simplest things. Okay, guys, how do you define a lead? Just everybody write it on a piece of paper. Okay, who do you think, what are the attributes of our target customer? Write it down on paper. Um, just those kind of things. You know, wh what are the understandings on if I give you a lead, um, how soon should you follow up on it? How many attempts should you make? You know, what, and, and then you share it. And you can act, it can actually be really constructive because you giggle. You're like, oh, my gosh, how are we so far apart? Right. And then that leads to getting alignment. That leads to expectations. What I like to call the rules of engagement. 
And I find a lot of marketers shy away from this. They're, I don't know what they call it. They're scared of it. They don't want the conflict. But if you don't do this, you're screwed. But if you do this, then the beauty is when you have a less than stellar quarter, you're, you're not alone because the agreement is we're all working together. So it kind of, it's in your own selfish best interest. But this is, I still struggle with this. I had my director of sales come to me at the end of Q1 and we were debriefing and her comment to me was, I, I don't know what marketing's doing. Like, I really have no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, how, how, in the, how is, how is that possible? So <laughs> oh it's a never God. ending process. Yeah. I hate to put you on the spot, James, but you and I were talking just yesterday about this and, and you had, I think some really good insight if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah. I mean, look, I a hundred percent agree with Daryl. But I'm going to take it a couple. We of shouldn't steps. agree with Daryl, by the way, 100 percent of the time, because uh, that is the I reason. 100 yeah, percent. I actually like, agree. That's 95 percent. Like, let's just let's just go break it down a little bit. That, that's what James part. really said was Daryl's cute, but let me give you the real answer. So go ahead, my friend. <laughs> okay, that makes perfect sense. There, there we go. go. I think I think that we have to take a step back as marketers and realize that we oftentimes come up with a strategy and plan without any other groups. Yeah. And that is the problem. So the, the outcome of us not having them at the table is exactly what you're talking about, Daryl. So um, I think that it still needs to be part of the plan, but I think that we actually have to bring those groups in. Like an example of what we've done at CRM Next is I've literally mapped the journey for every department. So if we look at the entire buyer journey, it's more than just marketing and sales. It's full cycle. And I went out and mapped it for each function. And what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to come up with ammo when we were talking and say, hey, look, like these are some areas that we struggle with. And these are some insights and data that we can provide in marketing to help solve it. Then it changed the game. Now they want to be part of the discussions. They value marketing way more. And they're the ones coming to us with like, hey, we need to come up with a service level agreement with you guys instead of the other way around. So I think yeah, a big part of what you that. just said there, I'm sorry, a big part of what you just said there was you had data. And data is a great arbiter of truth to create alignment. But I'll shut up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add the other thing I do is really understand, you know, the teams that you're working with. What, How are, their, how are they measured to be successful? Because um, one of the things I think is that our, how we're measured for success isn't the same. So to your point around mapping the journey, but mapping the KPIs and the metrics, I always try to make sure that I'm incorporating metrics that have, you know, some of the goals of the other teams in them so that we're watching not only what we're doing, but how it's affecting others so that there, you know, there's alignment and that we having a discussion around, you know, what if, if, if marketing, this is the plan, then how are they? how are they measured and is the, you know, what are the success metrics that align to how they get measured that, that will contribute to this? Cause I think that's another one where our success metrics and theirs are misaligned. And if we want to get support, we have to understand, you know, what's, how they're, you know, how they motivate. You know, one of the things that Lisa just pointed out, like as she started her new gig, she said the best, she made best friends with the sales ops people and yes. said, as soon as she, I mean, that was her big win was how do we make our sales 
like instead of like the whole sales because it's hard to go in and, and change as a marketer like you know every one of the leaders on this call right now and people listen we all know how hard it is the, the expectations as a marketer you're coming in like you're going to change the world and we all know that's not going to happen in a week but the expectation is oh we're going to have a marketing team they're going to have a new branding new website new messaging new positioning statement new uh cards so that we can actually go after competitors and new case studies and yeah we're going to have a ton of brand awareness and pipeline at the same time. I can even talk all the things that people talk about in the same breath that marketing can do within a week that they have to execute and deliver on. So who do you make friends with in the organization in your first week or two that actually gets you going? Make friends with finance. That's my, they're some of my BFFs. Understand what, what the numbers are to Jed's point. How good are they? Where did they come from? What exactly do they mean? How do the budgets work? You know, that's, that's one of my first stops. <laughs> yes. Finance and HR. HR, believe it or not, they are your best friend because you're going to screw up and you're going to need some help and uh, get them under, you know, on your side. If you get the finance person, the HR person, I mean, that's huge right there. Oh, I love that peanut butter and uh, and chocolate. That's yes. like the CMO plus CFO. <laughs> I see, Christine, that's really good. That's uh, good. Like, Allison, you have been in this organization, like you, you're, you, you know, your org is growing, you're, you, you know, things are just, you guys have obviously more budget now Then how are things moving in your organization? What made, made the difference? Yeah, I think much of what everybody has spoken about here, aligning relationships, aligning on shared goals, not your own individual KPIs, aligning through processes and systems. But one of the things we do at the beginning of every year, and this may bleed a little into what worked in Q1 was the lining um, what we call our MVP squared framework. So we'll actually build on our mission, our values, our priorities and plays that connect each function across the organization and actually write down to the contributor, contributor level. So on a monthly, quarterly and annually ba- annual basis, we're all connecting on what's important to us based on our values and our goals in the business and how we're working together as a one team in our core values to move the needle forward in our quest to be much like peak community, better, better, never best. And that's yeah. really ingrained in our culture. And it's that cultural drum that gives us the space to realign because it's never done. And I think everybody on the call, you know, mentioned that it's an ongoing cohesion and relationship that needs to be built on shared values of one team. And I think the cultural um, component and the transparency is super important to being able to hold each other accountable as well as build those relationships. Oh man, I, I think I need a plaque that just says better, better, never best. I think that's solid. Is that something that you guys just say in an organization or is this something that you, you came up with? It's a Hunter Maidley, our CEO, definitely going to give him the credit as we, we, we build that into our narrative, but it is something we all own every day and can refer to um, on our journey, because again, it is it is is an iteration, minute to minute and day to day to getting to where we want to go. I love that. All right, so let's just jump into this. Like, what what worked in Q one? Like, we we just came. I don't think we all have. I, I thought by this time we'll be out of the pandemic. Like, we'll be talking about twenty twenty one. Like, pandemic was last year. Uh, some of you are going back into the lockdown. Some of you are coming out of the lockdown. Uh, I was at Universal Studios last week with a mask on a ride, which just didn't make sense, uh, but we still put it on. So all the things that are going on right now, just just craziness. What happened in Q1? What still worked for you? Was it something new or something old? 
I'm going to actually jump in. So one thing from, from the perspective of, of the user, people have been online so much. They're inundated with data. They're seeing content. Things are going on. And we really focused on user experience. We kind of took a step back and said, what's happening? What's creating churn? How do we make this an enjoyable experience that makes people want to come back? And while we all say we're always focused on user journey and how we create the experience, there's a point now where almost we have to double down there to make the product you're offering the experience from start to finish pre-client to onboarded to leaving the most enjoyable thing we possibly can. We personally saw massive growth and, and our churn went down massively just by really taking a step back and talking to everybody consistently, putting in that time and effort. Even though it was extensive, it was well worth it and it's paid off. I mean, I'll just give kudos to like what Judd is really referring to is that when we started Peak Community, so like just being for 30 seconds on this, last year, we were like, we just want to have fun and just bring a bunch of marketers together and geek out as marketers, like no sales, like just really just be nerds, marketing nerds again. And we didn't realize how much of a therapy session it actually started to become. Uh, But we also realized that, well, there are all these hundreds of marketers are now joining the Peak Community but they don't really know what to do, where to go, how to how to engage, like what's going on. So Judd actually took it upon himself and said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. And I, I really think that was super <laughs> courageous because I'm like, dude, that is crazy. And he's like, nope, that's what we're going to do. And Eden, please give shout out to Eden in chat. Eden is the one who's kind of putting all this thing on the back end and making things work. So thank you, Eden, for doing that. Uh, but, but Eden pointed out in the data and then Judd actually said, you know what, I'm going to do this. So every Friday at 3 p.m., he does an onboarding call for every single person who joins the peak community. Like every person, it doesn't matter if you're in a CMO group or ECMO group or a regular, it, it really didn't matter. And to me, and every, I mean, he does this every week. And I think that just changed the economics of it. And it just made me think about our businesses that how many of us actually know our top 10 customers and have their phone number in our uh, in our pocket and actually talk to them, right? Like, like that is a part that I feel now more than ever, every company should think about is like, do you know your top 10 customers or do you just market to them? And do you have their phone number, which means you have a relationship with your customer. And I think when Judd did that, I'm like, man, that just changed everything. Like that just changed the relationship, why people stay, why people are thinking about it, how people are referring and all that stuff. But all it's required it to take is for somebody to be courageous enough to say, I'm going to take the time to spend the time with the people who are actually coming in and actually build a relationship with it. So I, I'm curious from all of you again, like what worked for you in Q1 that was groundbreaking? I think for I can, me, is, no, no. Um, I would say that in Q, for us, it's actually Q3. So, but it was my Q1 and it was my first full quarter in my new role where I was really helping an organization that was very B2C, very small business, really focused on one to 10 employees to help them start moving into emerging mid market, that 11 to 300 space. And so, what worked for me was I actually built a pilot around construction, which was one of the first verticals we wanted to go after in this mid market sort of segment. And actually built out a pilot and a test where I did marketing, did some leads. We got sales enablement, sales trained, ran it sort of end to end and ran it through the pipes and showed how this would work and what it would look like. So it's some you know, quick success to make it easier for everyone to understand what it was we were going to go do and then scale it. And now we're like off to manufacturing, wholesale. We're you know rolling out for all the mid-market. I now just took over marketing 
leading strategy for mid-market, leading a tiger team for our whole mid-market go-to-market strategy. Wow. And it seemed to, seemed to go over well. So that was my uh, my win. But I think the pilot testing and really showing people a little bit about where you were going to take them was really helpful for this big change and transformation. Huge congrats on an incredible quarter. Can we just pause Thanks. on yeah, that? Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing where, where I feel most of us are probably not focusing on is celebrating wins. Mm-hmm. And there are wins happening every day in our organizations, which is one of the reasons why, like, you know, we love to do it on Friday. Like, what's the win? Like, what's the one thing that was just winning? Because we all, I mean, at the end of the day, there is no better culture than a winning culture. So right. I, I love, I love what, what you're building over there. And it's a big organization. So, like you're part of Intuit. Like it's, it's a really big organization. So change is hard. And yeah. it's incredible. I, I think you. Sangram should have done some pilot testing on his hoodie approach. Just, you know, putting it out there. <laughs> exactly. I wish somebody would have been, you know, I, I wish I was part of this group that uh, I could have the wisdom and knowledge around that. All right. So what, what so I'm seeing, I'll, I'll drop in some of the comments and I'll love for somebody else to share what worked and then we'll jump into both the q and a i'm seeing people dropping in so if you have questions we want to pull you on stage with all of these folks and you can ask directly a question so just go to q and a and just raise your hand um and we'll, that's how we, we would know but i'm seeing a whole bunch of comments from jay holden uh, tamara uma i think you, you all can see it uh lisa like what she's talking about what worked for me in the past and i'm now in the process of doing it again is mapping out the entire customer experience each channel stage and mapping the experience. I'm creating the KPS for each stage. Double click on that, like KPS for each stage, all the way from conversion rates to renewals and advocates. Is this yeah. really, is this happening? I know James is like geeking out. He's, he was probably, you know, tap dancing there. <laughs> that we can see him doing. Yeah, Lisa. <laughs> Go for it, Lisa. That's awesome. All right. What else worked for all of you guys? Michael, what's on your side? What worked for you? Sure. So I think one thing that uh, I think we've all done uh, as marketers, but we always kind of figure out what when's the right time to reset it is revisiting uh, personas and talking to customers and being able to actually find out. We all know things have changed, right? right? That doesn't that that not that much is assumed, but what's different in the, in the short term? What's different in the long term? What are things that are now non-negotiables that maybe weren't before? Uh, and that's had a huge impact already on our, our product roadmap as well as our marketing messaging. And so uh, this is a phenomenal time, I think, to kind of hit reset on there because there's there's only one incontrovertible truth, which is that things have changed. And wherever you were aimed before, that target has moved. So if you, if you keep on shooting in the same direction, that's on you, man, because things have changed and we have to rejigger everything and figure out where things have moved to. What worked in, uh, let, let's just switch gears now. Like what, um, in, in what worked, I get it. What didn't work. And if, you know, you can choose because we're just, you know, running in time um, overall. So choose what didn't work or what you plan to do in Q2 that you think is something that's worth testing. I can jump in there. We're going to get crazy. We've got a very, we're very vertical centric and we've got one specific vertical that's not a big vertical, very specialized vertical. And it's really hard to reach them because they're not necessarily in social media and, you know, different channels that they're not involved in, but they love their events, Mm. big event people, you know, so we're going to host our first ever industry-wide event. We'll invite competition and everything else just to be the people doing this all virtual, not unlike this. And the whole point is making it a one-day track. We've never done this before. We have no idea. So we've never done it before. So I'm looking at, you know, how, how well does uh, Goldcast work, for example. 
And then uh, that's the first part. Second part is reaching them to drive activity. You know, engagement's going to be interesting because they're hard to reach. And will it be received or not? So we're going to put a lot of money into this. But if it does work, then this is going to be my pilot project to go to all the other verticals, exactly what Caitlin was talking about there. So uh, we're very excited about this. So it could be big reward or it could be complete and utter failure. So we shall see. Well, those are the bets each one of us have to put in. I, I love that. And, and shout out to Goldcast. Like they just came in and said, hey, you know what? Let us make your events better because they saw the last event. If anybody has been, we invited a thousand people. All of them showed up and we only had 100 seats. So that didn't really work. So this time around, <laughs> another one of our big mistakes. Yeah, we should have started with that. That was our big mistake. Big mistake. So, you know. say, make sure to check our Q&A. And po- we, we've got some good polls in here, too, that we can watch. All right. Well, let's go. Let's, uh, you know, as, as, let's pull one of the, the questions from Q&A. Let's uh, bring Benjamin Pope in and, and then we'll go back to, uh, to the group. All right. So I'm, I'm just going to read it out uh, as if nobody can read, but I'll do it. I've noticed a lot of people talk about importance of work-life balance. And um, does he want to come online? Just ask the question or we, we can pull him in or we can read it. Yeah. So this is about work-life balance. But if, uh, you know, Ben, if you want to just jump in and like really go, like just we'll pull you on stage if you want to come on video. No pressure, yeah. Lots of pressure, come on. I mean, that's what this is for folks who are building their own personal brand and having conversations and thinking about it. This is an opportunity for you to be on a stage with some of the best marketers and, and get your questions asked and answered. And there's no dumb question. Like, you know, you all, that's why we started with mistakes. Um, so go ahead and do that. We want to have people the opportunity to get out there and be open. So that's how people know you. But drop in on that question, folks. Like, what do you guys think about uh, the work-life balance question that uh, Ben asked? And while we're waiting on that, we have some some interesting polls. I'm just going to cue this one up just because. So one thing that I've noticed is this influx of ABM everything. Uh, it seems that no matter who you are, you've got ABM in some aspect of your B2B approach. And I am seeing... I mean, I'm going to answer Ben's question. Really Go ahead. Okay. So, Ben, I think some of what you're talking about, I think Daryl alluded to a little bit in when he shared some of his earlier mistakes in his career. And I think that it's really about setting um, you know, clear guidelines and guardrails for yourself. You can work your ass off. Like a hard, hard working hard is great, but working we've all heard working smarter is better. And you really have to start figuring out how to carve time out for yourself. You have to start carving time out for your mindfulness, for your mentals, like everything like that needs to be carved out. And one of the things that I've taught uh, a lot of my teams with is like you, you carve out an hour every day just for you. Block it off on your calendar every single day. And let that be the time that you either focus on mindfulness or you decide what it's going to be. But Sunday night, you do, you build your week, okay? And when you build your week, you also incorporate all those guide rails and the times in which you need to stop working and hold yourself accountable to that. Because ultimately, no matter how hard you work and no matter how smart you work, you can't move up the ladder any faster than the ladder lets you, Right? And sometimes you've got to create opportunities for yourself. And the best way to do that is to carve personal time for yourself so that you can develop as an individual and a person first. And that's what will make you a leader. So, James, let me just uh, I'm, I'm thinking about what people are thinking. If you're if you're a CML, makes sense. You kind of own your calendar unless your CEO actually blows it up and then it changes. 
But for a marketer who is a content marketer, who is a events person, who is a webinar, like he's a marketing ops person, who, you know, how do they do this? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's always a challenge, but at the end of the day, I mean, you do have, you know, you, there's times when you have to surge, do extra work and, you know, have a late night or from time to time, but you have to balance that out and you do. And, and cause you'll you burn out. And if you've ever, I've had to, I've had to recover from burnout while working. It's not fun. So, you know, avoiding it is a lot better than, you know, than hitting the wall and then having, having, you know, to recover. So I think, you know, it's super important to figure out your schedule what you need. Um, I think you start to see it in the way you react to people, how well you're answering questions, what you're doing to James's point, the mindfulness is really important on how you are engaging with others when you get, you know, too overwhelmed. And then I think from a working level, what I always encourage my team to talk to their manager about and would talk to me about isn't what you're doing, but what you're not doing. Because what you're not doing is as important at times as what you are doing. If you can only juggle so many plates, here are the plates that I've put down to pick up these ones. And so just making sure that that's what's going on. Because the other thing that happens is we continue to add more and more. And the person often feels like they're getting super backed up because they've set so many down. And they're always doing what's most important each day. But they're not really caring for or going back to get getting through that. And so revisiting what's been put down, what plates you've had to set aside and going back to your manager and say, what if this is still really relevant or important and is anything need to be moved up? And if not, can it move out? Because so I think that's another one where we sort of let it all build up and don't really talk about what's really fully in front of us, just what we're actually working on. So that would be one of the things I would suggest. What's up? There you go. This is awesome. Yeah, no, James, that was awesome uh, response. And thank you too, Caitlin. Um, that is something that I've been getting more intentional about is if somebody says, Hey, we would really like to do this marketing campaign or whatever it is, I'll say, okay, but that might come at the expense of X, Y, or Z. I just want to make sure that we're both on the same page, that this is a higher priority. Yeah. Um, and no matter where I've been, it's always in marketing priority. Prioritization seems to be the most challenging thing for people, especially when you get, you know, your CEO or founder coming in with great ideas. There's a lot of pressure, uh, to, you know, do what they say, uh, make kind of make a name for yourself in that respect. So bringing the data to the table, like you're saying too, being able to map it back to revenue is really important. Um, being able to say like, Hey, does this drive leads or whatever it is we're trying to do impact, not activity, right? Yeah. That, that exactly. is, what's going to drive impact in that prior prioritization versus that I can share with you. My FOMO early in my career was hot. I wanted to be in everything, touch my hands in all campaigns, everything that was revolutionary. I wanted to be there and making those decisions. Like a lot of the guidance for me was impact versus activity and really championing that, that impact and through the data, as you've mentioned. And I also think, I also think another thing that you can do is not, not just, not just focus on those, those impacts, but also, uh, when I talk about like carving time out for yourself and that mindfulness, like that, that's important. And you've got to you've got to decide what your passions are too, because I think what what we all have as as marketers, and especially when you're in a niche role, right, where you're doing very something very specific, you got brought in to do something very specific. And if you're wanting to grow, 
right? And you want it to become a leader, one of the things you got to do is figuring out how you expand those other areas while still keeping your passions and your niche that you're really, really good at. And the, one of the best ways to do that, it, we, we use an approach, everybody's heard this, but we use this approach, and it's the crawl, walk, run. Everything we do in marketing can be done in phases. And that's another way that you can prioritize because some, some things that you do, like especially if you're at a, SaaS, a small SaaS company or even a big, large enterprise, even IT will have sprints, right? They do a, they do a, a UAT and then they do production. There, there's a reason why, why things are done in those phases. So build your work also to show like, hey, there's, there's stuff that we're doing that's maybe in the crawl phase. And this is what it's going to look like in the walk and run phase. And give give a give a give a future state of what it's going to look like, so that everyone has the right expectation as well. And one thing I would add to what what you said, and I want Dal to comment on this one as well, is you know, there, and I think we have talked about this in one of the peak events, is that there, nobody who is busy gets promoted. Nobody who is too busy ever gets promoted. And people don't think about that too hard. I think people don't take that to heart. It's like if I if I see somebody who's too busy, I'm walking away from them, right? I'm not giving them more stuff. So if you're always busy, your always head is on fire, and there are like a 50 million things you're trying to juggle, then there's a, there's a red flag, and then that that leads to burnout. But really, it's not rewarding. It's not actually going to make you. Uh, get promoted in your organization. It's not going to make the business better. So it, it's something, it's, it's a hard lesson I had to learn in my early days because most of us are here, we're all drivers, right? We are all, we want to make an impact as fast as possible, but the speed and outcome are two different things. And it's it's, it's to calibrate that in the right angle. It's, it's, a, it's a big change. So I, I love what we're saying, but I also recognize it's one of the hardest things to do. But Daryl, drop in a comment and then we'll bring in Amber and Lorena. And there's a whole bunch of folks who want to jump in and ask questions. First off, everybody, I know you missed it, but uh, Benjamin's uh, camera setup was killer. Nice little bokeh yeah. to go. Um, the uh, one thing I would say is twofold. You got to look at it from the manager's point of view when you're all getting stressed out and from your own point of view. From the manager's point of view, most people don't understand this. because You're so caught up in your own world and I'm stressed and I want to have a career. But as a manager... I don't want you stressed out because if you're too stressed out, you're going to then take time off or quit. And then I've got a bigger hole to fill <laughs> because of that. So I, I genuinely want to know if you're feeling stressed out and I want to work with you to create an environment that you can succeed in. That's in my own selfish best interest let alone how I feel about you. So you as an employee need to communicate with your manager and tell them what's going on. The second thing is most people don't do this because they're afraid of letting them down. They just take everything on. Sure, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And they're going to keep on giving you stuff because apparently you must have bandwidth. The answer is really simple. It's yes, I can do that. What do you want me to give up so I can do that. And you're putting it back on them. That's a power Yeah. And it's real simple because now it's not your decision. It's their decision. All right. So that's how you're managing it. So you need to understand they want you to succeed and you need to understand that you have control by simply putting it back onto them. So that's my advice. And it's improv, right? Yes. And yes. And yes. And not, you know, this is big, right? It's not, 
Benjamin the war wasn't bad. At least one sweatshirt, either from Pardot or from Peak, is Fort Benjamin was up there for like half the show. I mean, he needs some sort of a, 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 a takeaway from this experience, doesn't he? Come on, Sanger. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, but, like uh, the the uh, the butt part is really what kills it. Like you say this, but but I can't do that. But, but that's what actually kills the person on the other side. And it's literally saying, "Oh, sure, that's a great idea." And 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 you, you move on to it. It's so hard. It is so hard. All right, we got we got more questions coming in, and I know both folks. So, Lorena, why don't you go first, and then we'll open up the poll again, Judd, that you ran, and then we have Amber on, so we can actually get her because she is the queen of ABM. So we want to get Amber's perspective on that ABM poll you just ran. So, Lorena, how are you doing? Good morning, everyone. It's been a while since I've seen some of these faces. Um, yeah. Somehow my camera wants to focus on my eyes and my hair. Totally fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I guess my, my idea here is just doubling down on what Catherine McConnell shared on time blocking. I found myself, especially through the pandemic, that somehow people needed more meetings with me. And that was super frustrating because I have, this is a great hack, by the way, it's called Timely. So it has like a little brain function that is going to analyze all your activities in the computer. So you can get to your manager, in my case, my CEO, um, with a more informed decision. So what I did after understanding that more than 60% of my time was going to meetings, first I assessed what are the meetings that are really having an impact to revenue. After that, I used Sonsama, a fantastic app, S-U-N-S-A-M-A, and that connects to your Google Call. And so what I did, I call it calendar matching, where I could time block my entire week, like per activity. And then I could come with my CEO and say, hey, this is how my week looks like. Is there anything that I am missing that you want to put in, in, in the time slot that are still available? And so that made magnificent change because somehow people weren't, were not stealing my calendar anymore. So I think just use the technology that it's available. And uh, I, I am a big believer in lists, but only kind of to vomit my entire brain into the paper. And after that, I need to put the activity in the Google Call so everyone can take a look. Because especially in marketing, there's this assumption, as, as, as we were uh, talking here, that, oh, she must have time. She must yeah. have and the reality is that, no, I don't because I'm not at the office anymore because my, my time is is now kind of um, swapped between trying to get my team effective, uh, hiring, uh, making sure that everyone stays motivated, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just uh, exactly a yes and, Alison. Wow. Now, Lorena, you, I mean, you made a lot of great comments. Some people are asking, what software are you talking about? What is that? It's called, uh, the first one is, Timely, T-I-M-E-L-Y. So that's the one that analyzes your activities. Literally, it analyzes uh, your meetings, your time in Slack, your time at emails, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one is called Sunsama, S-U-N-S-A-M-A. I can put it in, uh, throw it in the, the chat. later on, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm honestly scared to use them because I'm afraid what I'm going to find. Hey, uh, <laughs> Sandra, <but laughs> real, real quick, guys. Just so you know, those that can stick around, we're gonna we're gonna run till about one thirty uh, for those that can stay on, because uh, this is a pretty engaging uh, piece, and we haven't even got we haven't even scratched the surface. So if you want to stick around, we'll st- we're gonna stay on for a little bit extra. That that is super cool. Is anybody else using uh, any of these tools, or how how are you managing time badly? 
That badly, huh? <laughs> calendar. 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 Calendar by, managed by calendar. That's, yeah, this is, this is kind of unfair, but um, I use a virtual, a virtual assistant. It's a real person, but uh, they're considered a virtual assistant, and that's helped me, like, a ton. <laughs> and so for what it's worth, that's that's been big for me. Planning. Awesome. Calendar planning has been one of the biggest things that saved my life. That on Sunday night, I just take a quick sit down and look at the big things that must get done for the week, and they're put on the calendar. They don't move, and everything else moves around that. And I found that that makes a big difference because I get to the end of the week instead of feeling like, wow, I didn't, I feel like nothing accomplished, was accomplished. I know I hit the major things, and I can feel that I've moved the ball forward. So that's a big one for me at least. Yeah. Can we bring the um, uh, the the poll again, um, yeah. and then we'll, we'll love to get Amber and Jen start on it. Amber and Jen, good to see you up here. Hey guys. Hey hey. All right. So, w- what is the status of ABM in your organization? Seems like majority of the people are in early stage ABM. Um, I think you're. I mean, are people? I mean, are the people who have been doing this for like the longest? I know people probably like really marketing team doing it is probably a few years. But I'd love to hear, Amber and Jen, you, uh, you're probably the two people I know have been doing it for a while. How long have you been doing it? I mean, how do you define people in early stage versus uh, a late stage? Because I don't think even people recognize what, what stage they truly are. Jen, why don't you kick it off? I'll kick it off. Yeah. Um, so I've been, um, I've been doing ABM now for, uh, I would say, a little over five years. Um, initially started on the agency side, and then when I got hired on it, Bizarre Voice um, went client side with it. So... Um, I've seen it from a number of different perspectives and a number of different use cases. I think really when you define ABM and, and where your maturity level is, I think it's um, the progression of moving into the one-to-few to the one-to-many approach or one-to-many into uh, one-to-one approach. Um, so the more targeted you are, the more aligned with your sales team you are, the more um, collaboration that you start to see across the rev org and those bridges, those gaps starting to be bridged. I think that is the, the definition of how mature your ABM strategy is. I don't think it necessarily comes down to the campaigns and the tactics and the channels that you're using because you use a lot of the things that your demand gen team is already leveraging. You're just taking it to that next level, Right. Um, and a lot of that has to do with that that collaboration piece um, with your your sales and your CS teams. Um, so that's typically how I, I define it. Um, in terms of where we are at Bizarre Boys, um, when I first started, ABM was um, done, but kind of more on an ad hoc level. Um, and so really what I came in to do is um, establish what ABM should look like, how that looks um, across our teams. Um, and started with that crawl, walk, run approach that was mentioned earlier. You know, we wanted to make sure that we established a baseline, a foundation for what ABM was supposed to mean across the organization, and then slowly move into um, that one-to-few and that one-to-one approach as we started to build that internal advocacy and prove results and show those KPIs that that affected um, those business outcomes that, that we're all working towards together as one team. So um, in a nutshell, that's that's where we're at now. Take her. Um, okay, so I've been doing ABM now for, I guess, over four years. I don't know exactly exactly how many years at this point. Um, and, you know, I've done it at a couple different organizations. So uh, starting with how do I define a mature uh, ABM 
strategy. I mean, very similar to what Jen said. Um, it's it's uh, to me, I'm defining a mature ABM strategy as one where it is an ABX organization, where you are not just a marketing team running ABM uh, on your own, where you are in complete and total collaboration with you know the rest of the organization. That it's not an ABM strategy; that it's a revenue strategy. Um, and, 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 you know, you become an organization that is focused on target accounts and it is not just a silo situation, which, you know, is, is very much the case in every single organization when you're starting ABM. And even when you are in a mature and leader stage, you can still be struggling with some of those issues. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I define it. I also, I also like to add in different layers of, uh, you know, you're talking one-to-one, one-to-many, one-to-few. Um, you know, you could be an extremely mature ABM strategy if you are one-to-one at scale, but you can also be extremely mature if you have what I call like, uh, you know, a full funnel ABM strategy, which is you have uh, you have accounts co- being covered from, uh, you know, top of funnel in, in collaboration partnership with your demand gen team running, you know, a little bit more traditional style moving into your one to your one to few campaigns with your ABM accounts and then all the way down to the bottom of the funnel with your one-to-ones. So um, that's kind of how I, I look at it. There's different kind of levers and, and, and different areas in which you can. And in terms of where uh, where we're at, a very timely conversation. I just got off the call, uh, a call with some of my RVPs talking about this exact same thing. Um, you know, from from the outside of the organization and from any kind of ABMers, we're we're a mature we're a mature ABM strategy. Um, but I did click on the on the poll, like um, you know, mature but still figuring it out. Um, you know, reason being, we still have so much to improve. Where you know my goals for this year um, with my team are filling that that funnel of hitting all aspects of ABM, so all of our accounts are covered in, in one of the one of the many campaign types. But we're still we're still having you know conversations around how do we improve uh, alignment between sales and marketing? How do we how do we get you know the entire organization to you know to see the to see the value even though we've hit great numbers you know we've had great success we still need to continue to um improve we've got a lot more we can do to have a lot more success um so yeah where we're at is we are you know advanced but continuing to evolve and to optimize and that what that is actually going to look like for us is almost like a, I want to say like a, re, a relaunch we're not shifting the strategy but we're re, uh, relaunching press release yeah yeah that, that makes sense and I want to like just in double click on that for a second uh, sorry Judd you were asking you were asking yeah, two quick things I know we're going to lose some people here soon and some of our leaders have to jump as well so first thank you everybody who has to run we are going to stay till 1.30, but we just wanted to thank everybody for being a part of this. This is huge, and, you know, marketing is only going crazy and growing and, and getting more notoriety. So, you know, thank you to everybody who is, has to go, for everybody who's staying. Uh, Amber, just one real quick thing. That literally what you just said made me go back to what Allison said, which was better, better, never better. Yes. Constant evolution, and that's, I mean, isn't that what mature ABM really is, right? Yeah, that's good. And thank you, Caitlin, for joining us. Uh, we want, you know, what one thing as you were talking about, Amber, uh, and, and Jen, this is anybody who who's wants to 
or doing ABM, please connect with Amber and Jen. They're, they're super amazing. They run the Emerging CMO uh, Circle as well with Lisa and Kira. The the part that's really hard right now, and, and, and I'm, I'm just taking ABM and putting it on the side for a second because I think everybody just hailed it and saying this is the most important. And I want to hear from the CMO perspective from like Allison and James and um, you know Mike and Dell is like, how much of the conversation are you having today about this? Is this a director VP level conversation, or is this a conversation actually hitting your you know your desk like you know three times a week? Like what's Allison? What's maybe start with you? Like what's how much of the ABM really is true for you, or how do you define it? How do you see it? How do you think about it? How do you communicate that to the CEO and the board? Yeah, I think uh, both to Amber and Jen's point, you know, we're looking at it as ABX and and funny enough, or maybe an unusual or maybe common, it actually started in the sales organization with a set named of accounts, which gives us a leg up because we didn't have to necessarily go and try to get the sales organization to say, hey, let's, you know, group these accounts. We were able to work with the sales organization, though, to get smarter on the segments, leverage different inputs like intent, et cetera, and really start to think about how we would work together as a sales and marketing organization through that journey. Um, I guess, you know, some have some having been done this for, you know, 10 or 15 years, it, we're at the beginning, I would say, of this journey, but it isn't revenue team-wide conversation. So we are having that at the executive level, as well as with our sales and marketing management and within every individual contributor, which is how can we get, you know, more personalized, more relevant, and more engaged to a specific specific set of accounts. And it's really incredible to see that as almost a, a one company, one revenue commercial team initiative, um, you know, across across the business. Yeah, I echo exactly what Allison's saying. It, it, it's it's our it's our GTM strategy. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and then the execution of it is the ABX, making sure that it's a cohesive experience all the way through. So that's exactly how we approach it. I mean, that's why I keep pitching from the rooftop that you know you need to have uh, multiple functions of the business involved in this because, by the way, product can help you with your ABM strategy. Uh, customer support and service can help you with your ABM strategy. I mean, every function of the business can help you with it. (laughs) And and I think that so many people that are doing ABM right now, early stage, aren't thinking that way. And I think that's part of the reasons why they're running into early problems, which is like, okay, we've come up with these accounts. Let's run air cover ads for them. And that's a lot of how people define ABM. That's not it. It's bigger than that. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.